have this community and we are committed to serving their needs, whether that's always, you know, 100% short-term rental or when they want to diversify into something like multifamily. So we're just committed to serving our niche of investors. joining us, Chantel. How are you doing today? I'm great, RJ. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I thought it would be really interesting to have you on the show because you've developed a, a niche over the years or niche, however you want to say it, uh, that's really specific to short-term rental investors. And I thought that's a super interesting topic. So tell me more about how you got involved in that part of real estate. Yeah. I mean, I think I stumbled upon it. So my story, a lot like others, was it started with me just purchasing a primary residence. Um, this was back in 2017. I purchased a property that was in Denver City, but Adams County. And I didn't realize that that would be a very important factor in this property down the road. Um, but we started off by renting our basement. It had like a separate mother-in-law suite in it. And I was like, man, you know, it'd be really nice to rent this to someone. It's like a full separate apartment. Maybe I'll make a thousand dollars a month. And then that fell through. I was going to rent it to a friend. And so I was like, well, I don't really know anybody that well out here. I'll just try Airbnb. I've heard, I've heard people like it. And then I started renting out the basements and it was making like $3,000 a month. And wow. I was like, wow, this is making far more than what I was anticipating. And so after that, got hooked and scaled my short-term rental portfolio from there. Wow. Wow. So was it the property itself or the location or the management that you had on it or a little bit of all those factors or what was it that, I mean, that's pretty darn good income for a, a basement unit. You know, it sounds like it is, but it's actually just completely standard for what a short-term rental can earn if you're renting out a basement. Um, it's just that like people weren't really talking about it as much as they are now in 2017. Mm. And so like, I didn't have a special property. It wasn't in the best location. I did a good job with decorating. I just like, you know, bought the best that Amazon could offer and made it, you know, to a place that looked nice to visit, did professional photos. And honestly, as, as much as it did do well, after helping so many other people do this with their basements, it's just exactly in line with what everybody is able to accomplish. Really? Okay. So what was the key factor with it being in Adams County? You mentioned that. Is, so is it not all of Denver has certain rules? It's just Denver County? Is that what it is? Yeah. So to navigate legislation in any state is really important when it comes to short-term rentals. And I just lucked into this. So Denver County requires it to be your primary residence, whereas Adams County doesn't currently have any regulation and their stance is that they don't really want to over-regulate short-term rentals at the time of this recording. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so for me, that was really key because I no longer live at that property and I rent the entire property with an ADU or a carriage home. Um, and it actually grosses like 130,000 as a full short-term rental. And I clear like 70 grand off of that one. That sounds like pretty good numbers. It's pretty good. <laughs> I think that would probably pencil out. Yeah, um, it, it was a good investment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you still own that property even today? Yep, I own that property. Um, it kind of functions like a triplex. I rent the upper unit to two people, the lower unit to four people, and then the carriage unit to another two people. And it's just old faithful. You know, it's 10 minutes to downtown. We have it set up as little apartments. And I have people who are accomplishing the same numbers as clients with single family homes that are just rented as normal single family homes too. Wow. Wow. So I have a million questions going through my head right now. I think we could do a whole episode just on how to set up your short-term rental business, but yeah, how, how did you then go about scaling your business from there? Yeah. So at that time, um, I was new into my real estate career. I purchased the house in 2018 as well as got my real estate license that same year. Um, okay. And as you know, you have to have a couple of years of income for traditional lending. And so when we bought the house, we ended up spending time building that carriage home. I ended up you know, working in traditional residential real estate. And then after two years, we ended up purchasing our next primary residence. And I, during those couple of years, was really interested in finding out where could I legally do short-term rental in Colorado from an investment perspective, just because I was living there. I was renting the basement. I was renting the carriage house at that time. So I was making like nine grand a month in short-term rental at the place that I lived. And so I was like, we need to scale this. So we bought our next property with, I think, three to 5% down in Wheat Ridge because we heard that they were going to come out with short-term rental licensing. Um, so we purchased that. We lived in that for a year with the intention always of turning that into a short-term rental eventually. So we lived in that for a year. My business really started to pick up at that time. So I had high active earned income as a successful realtor. Um, I ended up moving out of that into kind of like our dream home. And then after that, I purchased two high-end mountain short-term rentals. Oh, okay. Where are those? Just out of curiosity. One, yeah. One is just south of Nederland. So it's about 30 minutes west of Boulder. Um, and then one is in Evergreen. Okay. Okay. I lived in Evergreen for 18 years. Oh, yeah. So Evergreen well. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Great place. Um, so is that the, the extent of your personal portfolio right now? Yeah. So I have four short-term rentals and then I have um, an office building as well as a primary. Okay. Okay. Nice. So then, so you started off in real estate in 2018. Did you then, after you had that two years under your belt, start your own um, uh, real estate practice? Yeah. So actually um, it was in 2021 that we became a brokerage. So it started off with me and a business partner. His name is Peter. And we slowly grew. We had, you know, a couple of realtors with us in the beginning. 
Um, one is now our managing broker. And in 2021, we wanted to buy an office building for our growing team. And we used an SBA loan product, which is a great mm. product for small businesses. It was like 10% down. And then they gave us money for like furniture and equipment. So that was really cool. But mm. one of the conditions was that they did not like that we were hanging our license under another brokerage. They felt that that relationship had too much control over our business. Mm -hmm. And so in order for us to buy the office building, they required us to become a brokerage. And so we did that in 2021. Um, and since that, we've just continued to grow. We have 12 brokers on the team now, and we serve investors throughout the state of Colorado. Okay. Okay. So, so one question I have about going into a niche like this is, do you work with other types of buyers and sellers also, or just investors and short-term rental investors? You know, I would say that 95% of our business is investors. We do have maybe 5% like friends and family that like our realtors will take on. But mm -hmm. for us, we have focused so much on this and the amount of people that we have wanting to work with us fills our time and we don't have to look for like traditional residential sales. Um, we really like working with people who look at real estate as an investment vehicle, whether that's short-term rentals or multifamily, or we've done like some creative financing deals this year. We've done wholesaling, we've done flips before. And so our goal is to really serve that niche. Do you feel like um, by being in that niche, it caused more people to come to you or was it tough at first because people thought you didn't do other stuff and you didn't have quite enough business at first? That's a good question. Um, I would say over the last couple of years, niching in this has brought more business than what I would have expected to us. And I think the reason is is we've had realtors work with us as clients. And we've had people that have cousins and aunts that our realtors choose to work with us. And the reason for that is, is we're so specialized in this field that we know all of the best places for return. We've already navigated the legislation throughout the entire state. We each own investment properties. And so we can really guide our clients on, you know, this is how you get set up here, are the systems for it. And so we just, from word of mouth and referrals, like really focusing on this niche, it makes it easy to say, hey, you really need to go and talk to Good Neighbor Realty. If you're considering a short-term rental or an investment property, you need to hear this realtor story. They're going to be able to help you set something up just like that. Um, so I was cautioned a lot when we first started, like, oh, you don't want to be too niche. You don't want to like narrow, like you should just be general. Um, but it's really allowed us to become experts at our craft. And I think that we're really dominating this part of the market. That's really interesting. I mean, that's the thought that's going through my head is exactly what I asked you. Like if I were to specialize in a certain area, let's say in lending, that's going to then make it tough to find other clients, or maybe I don't want those other clients, but there's probably people listening to this thinking, well, I'd like to specialize in X, Y, Z, but I'm scared that that's going to pigeonhole me. Do you think it was this particular niche or is it really going all in on a niche and being the expert in that particular area? 
I think two things. So I, I'm not naive to the fact that short-term rentals have been booming um, over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. I was actually listening to a podcast this morning with the founder, Brian Chetsky, and he said one out of every $1,500 spent worldwide is on Airbnb. That's not even considering wow. other platforms like Verbo. And so it is a very lucrative and popular niche that we're in. And so I think it's a combination of focusing on something that was very aligned for me and my team intrinsically. Like we all mm-hmm. invest in this type of asset. It's not difficult for us to sell it because we own them. We believe in them. And then I think it was very timely because this is also when short-term rentals started to boom. And so I think it was just the marriage of, you know, finding something that we were truly passionate about and timing where there was a real uptick in the space that just led to success in this particular niche. But I will say that, you know, something that we're kind of working on right now is diversification towards other investment assets um, because really the customer base that we serve are residential real estate investors. And with them, they've had more interest this last year, especially with high interest rates. Like we've done things that I never thought we would be doing. Like we've done multiple seller finance deals this year. We've sold their properties so they could 1031 exchange into new things. Mm. And so now we have this community and we are committed to serving their needs, whether that's always you know, 100% short-term rental or when they want to diversify into something like multifamily. So we're just committed to serving our niche of investors. Nice. Do you have a lot of repeat clients at this point and getting referrals from people that you work with? Yeah, most of our investors buy like two properties a year. Um, So it's not uncommon for our clients to buy two to five properties with us like over the span of a couple of years. And that's also something that's so great is, you know, when we really look at the heart of our business, we really love working with people that we get to build a portfolio with, that we get to be a part of their retirement planning, their dreams, and multiple transactions. And so I would rather serve the same people multiple times and have a really deep relationship with them than sell someone's house once every seven years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree with that. In in any line of business, really, it's all about working with the same clients and cultivating that client base. Um, what What's one thing you would say as advice to someone looking to get started as an investor in this particular niche, like a, a particular, uh, like a potential client that you would have? Yeah. So for someone who's looking to get involved in short-term rentals, it kind of first comes down to like, what resources do you have at your disposal? Um, If you're someone who just, you know, is just getting started, maybe you don't have like a lot of capital saved up, then you really should be considering like a house hack strategy, like how I started where, you know, you put low money down and you're the person to talk to about this, but you know, you can do a first time home buyer program or down payment assistance program or VA and put as little as, you know, 1% or even 0% down in the VA sense Mm -hmm. um, to be able to acquire your first property. And then you want to save your capital that you have for furniture and improvements because short-term rental has changed since when I first started. 
when I first started, you could be successful with iPhone photos and, you know, your grandma's couch and you were going to make money on short term rental. Now that the segment has really matured, you need good design, you need good furniture, you need great photos because you're also in the digital marketing game, right? Like, why mm -hmm. does someone pick your listing versus someone else's? And so I typically advise my clients, like if they are using financing to leverage as much financing as possible and keep their extra cash towards design and amenities. So that would be what I would say for first time investors. What about someone that has a primary residence, they're rooted in their community, their kids go to a certain school, so they don't wanna move into the property. And as you know, um, investment yeah. property minimum 15% down, better if you have even more down. What about someone like that that maybe maybe 20% down or 25% down is a lot of their capital. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we have people who will take advantage of home equity lines of credit. And, you know, honestly, mm -hmm. like from a real estate investor's standpoint, like some of the most successful investors that I rub shoulders with, they have mastered the game of leverage. And so they're thinking about return on equity. So if you've had your primary residence for a couple of years, Colorado has been very consistent in growth. You are sitting on a lot of equity that is not bringing in income to you. And so can you take that equity out, put it into a investment property and cash flow, you know, while using that leverage and, that really comes down to finding the right deal. Um, so a lot of people have a misconception that, you know, oh, like I live in Denver, maybe I'll get like a ski condo, like a cheap one in Breckenridge. Mm -hmm. That is not something, unfortunately, that's gonna make you money. Like that market is really oversaturated. That is a lifestyle investment. It is not investment property. Um, the, yeah. unless you buy it cash. The ones that are doing well are single family homes with a great combination of wonderful design, high occupancy, and, and adjacent to an area that people really want to visit. And so if you're able to identify an investment property that makes sense with the resources that you have, whether they're leveraged or cash, then you should go for it. Okay. So you, you alluded earlier to how strong the short-term rental market has been over the past couple of years. And, and right now, as we're recording this, it's January 2024. So are you seeing a shift in the short-term rental market? I've, I've heard different things about it, that maybe there's some weakness there. People are projecting some different things. What are you seeing happening? Yeah. So there's definitely a shift in the short-term rental market on many fronts. So, you know, the first that I keep on talking about is legislation. Um, and then the second is, you know, there's an increased supply nationwide of short-term rentals because it has become so popular over the last couple of years. And so what I'm seeing is, let's talk about Colorado. So Colorado is highly legislated and it's something that's so frustrating to me, like in this space, but honestly, it is such a good thing for our local investors because the legislation actually keeps the supply down. There's only a couple of hotspots in Colorado where you can legally operate a non-primary resident short-term rental. And so because of that, we don't have nearly as much supply as markets like Florida or Joshua Tree. And so because we have such limited supply, our short-term rental investors are doing very well 
if they buy the right type of asset. And so the right type of asset is, again, going to be dependent on location, occupancy, uniqueness, design. Those are going to be the, the properties that continue to perform well. So the things that I'm seeing suffer right now are the properties that kind of fall into that mediocre middle. Like they're not an affordable stay necessarily, and they're not like a nice high-end stay or a stay that has like great amenities for groups to enjoy. They're mm -hmm. the ones that, you know, might have a normal looking residential property. They have okay photos. They have okay design. They don't have really great amenities. Those mm -hmm. are the ones that are not doing as well, but the people who are doing well are investors who are coming into the space with an understanding of how to maximize return and how to stay out, uh, how to stand out on the platform. Okay. Okay. So, um, that being said, what are some of the areas that are allowing short-term rentals? And are there some areas that now are not that people are grandfathered in? Yeah, I think Breckenridge is actually the easiest case study for us to talk about because it is pretty interesting. So Breckenridge and Summit County has been kind of in turmoil over the last year from a short-term rental perspective. So Breckenridge decided that they had a surplus of short-term rentals and they wanted to have less homes used as short-term rentals. And so they've come up with like a 10-year plan. So the way that they handled it was they put a cap on the number of homes that they were going to allow to be short-term rentals, but they based that cap on what they wanted it to be eventually. So they grandfathered in everybody who is an incorporated Breckenridge, allowed them to get a license up to a certain date. But when the property sells, or if they decide to not renew, that license is disappearing. And so they are decreasing. Oh the number of short-term rentals over the next couple of years. We saw something, you know, somewhat similar in Littleton. Littleton said, we're going to allow short-term rentals. And then they were like, oh, you know, actually, we don't think that we want to allow this. And so they grandfathered in everybody who had an existing short-term rental, gave them five years to continue to operate and said that they're now reducing it only to primary residents. What I'm seeing in a lot of Colorado that I think is actually um, thoughtful is a lot of communities are allowing a certain number of homes to operate as a short-term rental. And usually the percentage is somewhere between two and 5%. And those communities, I think, are setting themselves up for success long-term because they see like people need short-term rentals. This is good for tourism. It's good for small businesses. It's good to gather um, you know, friends and families in these properties, but they want to protect normal housing. And so we're seeing like a two to 5% mm -hmm. cap in most municipalities that allow it as a non-primary residence. If you're looking at it as something that you're living in, most municipalities allow that. They see that, you know, it is necessary to offset some cost associated with higher interest rates and the cost of living here, but it's the non-primary residence short-term rentals that are being limited. So from a personal level, I am finding all of the counties that have those caps and I'm buying into those areas so I can be one of the two to 5%. So are those areas as, are they just now allowing them or is it more like they already have 5% and as people drop off, they're allowing other people to be added? It kind of depends on the location. So what's happening a lot, like we can talk through Clear Creek County, which is part of Evergreen. Mm -hmm. um, they were not regulating short-term rentals and they 
decided that they wanted to allow them, but they wanted to cap them at 2%. That number was based off of the existing number of short-term rentals they had in the community. That's how they deciphered that cap. They actually allowed for, they weren't quite at 2% when they gave that legislation um, or when they passed that legislation. And so I think they had maybe like 50 to 100 licenses more to give out. And over the last couple of years, they've filled that. So there are no more licenses in Clear Creek County. And same with Estes Park, um, same with Gilpin County, which is Blackhawk, Rollinsville, all mm. of those areas have filled their caps and they have waitlists or transferable licenses. So when you say 2%, is that 2% of all existing homes that are like built homes that are out there? Yep. 2% of single family homes is what we typically see. And you're right in thinking that like if more properties are built, that does increase the number that fits into that 2%. Okay. So it's not based on per capita or the population or something like that. It's on dwellings. Correct. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So you mentioned legislation. The big one that I've seen, because we have a short-term rental in Winter Park is- uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is this property tax thing? What is it? HR mm-hmm. or HH something? Mm-hmm. Something. Yeah. The four time increase. Yeah. On property taxes. Yeah. Where they're going to, they want to tax short-term rentals as kind of like they're a hotel is what how I'm interpreting it. What's your take on that? And do you have any updates on what's happening with that? Yeah. So In Colorado, you're right. They are considering increasing property taxes by as much as four times um, to mirror what we're seeing from a commercial perspective. So I actually have a lot of thoughts on this. So my first thought is Colorado has extremely low property taxes. So I've had like some out-of-state investors talk to me about this and I'll ask them what their property taxes are like. And then they're typically four times higher than what we have here in Colorado. And so I'll say, yeah, it might be increased to the same amount that you pay in your property in Florida or mm-hmm. in yeah, Texas, wherever it might be. Right. Um, so that's one is we have extremely low property taxes as it stands. The second thing that I think about this is I'm really sad about it because I think that and I, I went to the town hearing and the people who are being impacted by this the most are people that have moderate profits on their properties. So they're people that don't have the resources to go above and beyond in furnishing and design. Um, they're people that you know have modest homes that they're counting on for their livelihoods and they have modest returns on these homes and they've owned them for a long time and they've been good investment properties, but that tax is going to take away all of their profits and they're going to be forced to sell. And when that happens, again, our supply is decreased. And so the people that can afford to stay in the game, which are people that are serious investors that have invested a lot of time and capital into these investment properties, they're going to just increase again as that supply is put into the hands of those more sophisticated investors. And so I think I think the tax really hurts the little guy, um, which makes me sad. But I think ultimately people that are sophisticated investors, like my properties, even with four times the tax, are still going to be profitable. Mm-hmm. So it could de- decrease overall supply, but there will still be people in the game because they they know what they're doing and their, their properties are cash flowing well. Correct. Okay. 
Okay. Do you expect that bill to pass? Do you think that that's going to go through or? A lot of people, yeah, a lot of people think that there will be an increase at some level. Some people think that it won't be quite four times. I'm unsure. Um, I know that it has to, you know, be passed. Like, and I know that typically in Colorado, people don't like increased property taxes, but um, yeah. I don't know our, our, feel like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know that our, our leadership does, um, want to pass this because they think that, I mean, this is a complicated thing. They think that it will help affordable housing, but what they don't realize is that the number of homes being operated as short-term rentals throughout Colorado is such a small percentage of inventory. Like it is not going to solve the affordable housing crisis. We're less than 1% of housing stock throughout the state of Colorado. Right, right. So they're picking on a segment because the general public doesn't understand that. They don't understand that there's only a very small amount of housing being used as short-term rental. Um, so I'm, I'm overall sad <laughs> about it. Yeah. Yeah. I am too, from what I've seen about it and heard about it. Um, what do you do to get the word out about short-term rentals and about your business? Do you market yourself, teach, seminars um, or is it just all word of mouth at this point? Yeah. So like the progression has started from, you know, I used to show up at real estate meetups and just, you know, tell people what was working for me. Um, And so it started off as that. And we, we would find people that were like, Oh, I want to do something like that too. And then, you know, as we've grown as a brokerage, now we sponsor um, real estate meetups. We host, events almost weekly through the brokerage that people can be involved in, whether that's um, an in-person or an online event. We have monthly events at our clients' properties and our clients will tell, like we've really created a community, honestly, um, of investors who want to meet together, who want to learn what's working, who want to be around people who have big dreams of scaling their real estate portfolio and talk to other people about how they're accomplishing those things. And so our community events have been huge. And then from that, like, you know, maybe you've attended a community event, but you've never bought a home with us, but you have a buddy who mentioned that they want a vacation home in the mountains. They're going to refer their friend to us because we know everything that there is to know about legislation and revenue potential um, throughout the state. Okay. Nice. Nice. So when is your podcast coming out? Your short-term it's rental been, podcast? Yeah. It's called B&B <laughs> Financially Free and we have about 10 episodes. It's it's brand new. Okay. That's right. You told me off camera that you'd already started that. I was half joking, but that's really awesome. So what is it? One more time. What is it? It's called B&B Financially Free. Love it. So I'm going to definitely go subscribe and check out what you're doing. Um, Any other uh, parting tips of advice to either investors or agents looking to get into a niche like this? Yeah, I would, um, you know, something that I talk a lot about with my clients is, you know, sometimes they'll just be like, oh, Chantal, like it, it doesn't matter. Just find me something that makes money. And, you know, sometimes realtors feel the same way, like, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, I'll do whatever it it is that just makes me money. But what I've seen with the realtors within the brokerage and what I've seen with our investors is you take care of the things that you love really well. 
and you don't really take care of the things that you don't love all that well. And so like when my investors are looking for something, I tell them to find something that they think that they would like to visit because they're going to be the ones that are marketing the property. They're going to be the ones working with the designer, or even designing the property. And they have to understand who their demographic is and why they would want to visit there. And same for, for realtors. Like if you can't understand why anybody would want to buy a short-term rental or want to operate a short-term rental, you probably shouldn't be selling them. It's, it's going to be disingenuous. And I think that mm -hmm. through my career and all of our success just comes from like a real place of sincerity and authenticity. And, you know, we're selling something that we really believe in and we're investing in it and we're growing with our clients. And I think that that's been really the cornerstone of our su success. I think that's so key. You have to believe in your product as a salesperson, whether it's real estate or the mortgage Anything. business or cars yeah. or furniture or whatever it is. Um, those are very wise words. Um, but I really appreciate you taking the time to, for being on the show today. This has been a really enlightening episode. I've enjoyed learning more about the short-term rental niche and really appreciate your time. Thanks so much, RJ. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Mm -hmm.